Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Ryan? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are. It's a new year and new quotas for many people listening to this podcast today. Hopefully everyone made their number, and if you haven't done that yet hopefully you'll have a good fast start to the year we did a pretty good series on that a few weeks back this week we're starting a new series and the title is called avoiding excuses quick two-parter but this came uh, from a conversation that i had a friend with with a friend of mine that's a sales manager they actually uh listened to the podcast about a fast start and they said they they, they tried to do everything they could and they were they're running into this brick wall of excuses Brian, you're a, you're a sales manager today, and you've been on many sales teams. You ever heard an excuse from a salesperson? Yeah, I mean, like you hear them from at all levels, right? You hear them from account executives, sales managers, uh, VP level. Um, it happens at all levels. Yeah, and it's probably the epitome of average uh, in most cases. And and I've sat on many QBRs and been managing a manager of many people in my time, and I think it's. It, it's just almost evident when someone starts to talk about their excuses. Um, and we'll, we'll highlight a, what we think are our top eight for this week and for next week. And it's not to fill your bailiwick and tool bag full of excuses to use, but it's more around some experiences we've, we've had and shared with others to uh, help you avoid these excuses and turn things around Um what what do you what do you remember the most? I guess, or what's one of your thoughts around excuses, Brian? That uh, yeah. maybe not one of your current members do, but somebody on your teams have done. Well, I think um, I, t- I think taking a really quick step back is the we all have like the confidant that we that we connect with that's uh, on the team, and you can have a really candid conversation about you know the company's status, the product status, wh- whatever, right? And I guess what we're saying here is. That, that is absolutely a great relationship to have. Um, I mean, you, you would know what an unhealthy relationship would look like there if it's a constant scenario to where complaining is going on. And and that's I think that's productive and I think that's healthy to to have someone that you, you feel very comfortable having a very candid conversation with. But I think the key to this two-part series is that it's unproductive in a professional environment here. And I think that's really what we'll talk about is a number of the, to your point, Bobby, just the, you know, not to fill you up with what potential excuses look like, but to to fill you up with what we have heard a lot over the years and then um, and then how unproductive that could be in a professional environment, I guess is the point. Yep. And if you're listening, you might be uh, in your first week starting a new job, uh, first time in sales and you found this on the interweb somewhere, or you might be a 10-year account executive um, and somewhat lost your way and, and found the podcast and be and want to be great again uh, at what you were doing and, and maybe you were very successful in the past and we're here to help. I think no matter what stage you're at, though, you'll have to fight these excuses at some point, right? We've all, we've been in a slump. We've done a show on being in a slump and breaking out of the slump, right? Um, so let's just jump into the excuses, tell some stories, and uh, hopefully invigorate some of those listening and help them get over them. So 
the this is the quintessential big one I think I've heard in every role and every job and, and and still surprises me that it's the one everyone talks about but not enough leads Brian I'm not getting enough leads man no leads I I, I need more leads if I had good leads right is this not uh, what was the Gary Glenn movie that uh, where uh, Alec Baldwin yes goes off in one of the greatest sales speeches of all times in a movie yes. but uh, you know, I think, of course, we would all love hot leads that we're just going to turn into big transactions. Um, but sure. that's not how this business works, right? Um, Sadly, no. So I'm going to surprise everyone right now and tell you there will never be enough good leads. So, like, this is an excuse that will work forever because there will never be enough. But what, much like in the movie, uh, it, in real the real world, you probably have a bunch of leads and they don't look like million dollar transactions so you don't follow up on them which makes them not be good leads right i think um we've done a lot of con- conversing about this topic but if you got a territory list of customers or you have a zip code range or you've got a yellow pages phone book believe it or not those are all leads there's all opportunities in there and uh, in two weeks, I think, we're doing um, another listener's choice on how to create opportunity. But before we get to that, like, Brian, don't you think every customer with budget is a – I know it's an opportunity, but there's a way to make that turn into a lead? It is, and I, I think this happens, I think, most in the – if you're in inside sales and there's not enough leads, that's just that's just called your job. There's, to your point, there's never going to be enough. So that that's something you're going to have to get used to. And this is probably your first. This is probably your first gig if that's a challenge in your inside sales. If you're in outbound sales and you're placing this on the shoulder of your inbound sales team, you need to consider your inbound sales team the icing on the cake, not the source of your uh, of your pipeline. Uh, so yes, uh, anyone with with budget or uh, a stale system or, um, or or whatever the case may be is is a lead, and it's going to take hard effort and grunt work and dedication and putting time on the calendar to build that pipeline up. Because it, it inside sales is never going to fill your pipe up to the point that's going to get you to whatever multiplier you need to feel comfortable on getting to your number for the year. One of the things that I think we as salespeople don't do and and i i'm not trying to say that i was the quintessential expert of updating crm packages in my career but i i I did put a lot of pipe in my pipeline uh for future months and years and i think i think we're our own lead generation you know you you go up against the competition and you lose uh and i would say most tech projects are three years maybe there's longer maybe they're shorter but if if at emc i lost a storage deal I would always put an opportunity in the system for th- for two years from now, two 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 years and a quarter from now, to start going out and trying to capture that from the competition in two and a half years. And I just don't think people do that. They're they're short sighted. They don't think about being there for the long haul. But if everyone would have done that in sales for all of time, we would all have plenty of leads in our systems because we've all lost enough to have those opportunities trickle back up two and a half years later. And maybe you're not in the same territory or man's in the same customers, but that salesperson would see that in that system. And businesses, tech sales companies would kill if their reps would do that. Um, 
I would say it was pretty nice at EMC. If you lost the deal, it did it automatically, uh, and I think that would be very helpful if salespeople did it um, again. And I, I would say we've talked about it on other shows, but are we giving leads to each other enough, right? There'll, there'll never be enough leads, but are we trying to – okay, I'm not in on this one anymore, but I know partner A does this type of work or delivers these type of solutions. And while it might be a competitive product, I'm going to introduce them to get them in the door or make a referral. Um, if we all did more of that, I think it would feel different um, as it related to our leads. Any other and I thoughts? Wasn't, yeah, I wasn't perfect at that by any means. Um, I, I have some accounts, at, uh, some notes at the account level in the in the system as a as an account executive, um, I'd say you know there whatever product uh, comes up for renewal in you know twenty twenty four or whatever, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily create a new opportunity for it. I, I do think that's a great idea. It's but it's something I never did. I don't want to set the um, suggest that I did do that. But what is funny is the territory that you're responsible for now. If you intend to move up in the organization or move sideways or get promoted or whatever. Um, those those notes in Salesforce become your legacy in yep. many ways. <laughs> so it's funny because I manage the team now for the territory I used to have years ago. And uh, as we reflect back and I ask them to keep it clean and keep it updated, um, and that's my expectation of them, um, it'd be quite, um, what's the word? It, it um if I expect, if I had higher expectations of what I was actually doing in the system, uh, that wouldn't be that great. Right. Uh, so they see my notes in the system, and uh, they they know that's my expectation of them too is to is to keep it updated because you know to your point, that's how striping that territory is how we all get better and more productive. No doubt. So not enough leads. There'll never be enough leads. People. Um, don't be average and and go go help others get in the door and help grow customers businesses across more than just your book of business uh and it might 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 be surprising what happens uh over the next few months if you do that excuse number two that's riddled throughout is quotas are too high uh we were just talking about the year flipping for you brian uh, before we started recording and yep uh, i have a feeling no matter no matter what the number is you're not gonna like it when you get it um I don't think I've ever had a quota that I just, oh, I got the quota. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be easy. Um, I only had it happen one time. One time. One time uh, ever uh, in in 20 years of sales. And and of all people, it was the strangest person to give a lower quota. It was uh, Kevin Turner, the old COO of, Mm -hmm. of Microsoft. And it was the year following the economic downturn. Okay. And um, had to keep people motivated. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So they decreased the quota significantly year over year, and it was a year we 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 blew it out. Um, But yeah, to your point, that is that is uh, rare if ever, and especially given the industry we're in, right? Like the market expects thirty percent growth year over year for these companies that we work for. No doubt, that does not yield a lower quota. Yeah, and I don't think he's there anymore. I don't know if that those no. two things are tied together in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, for the most part, and if that's one time for the two of us over our mm-hmm. twenty years of selling, that's one out of forty. Okay, great, two percent. We had one quota that was better. But at the end of the day, you're never going to love your quota. There's there's always going to be parts of your quota, whether it's a new product your business is trying to sell that they they double down on and 
it seems impossible. I'll never forget. I think we've talked about it when SQL was the thing Microsoft was hanging their hat on, right? It was 100% growth year over year. I remember what they did that with Link, which is now Teams, and you know what they were trying to get into new markets, and the the spend was so small. It and for the the opportunity that they had in front of them, it didn't seem like much to sell every company in the world a little bit of Link or a little bit of Skype or a little bit of whatever the new thing was, um, and that market share should have helped drive some of those things. But to us in the field, man, geez, where do you expect me to? do all this in 12 months i think is was the thing um the other piece is I, can i can we go stop on sure. that real quick <clears throat> i think the um we we've been talking about this a lot actually uh presently the um and this probably needs to be its own listener's choice or series but what what microsoft was trying to do back then when they raised the sequel quota uh, by 100 percent and we were, uh, it was, it sucked for us because we, that was part of our number, but it sucked even more for the people that were actually selling it because that was the only number they were responsible for driving revenue for. And to have your number grow by 100% year over year was more of a statement from Microsoft to say, we are behind Oracle in top line revenue for this product line. We should be doing way more revenue than we're doing. So they raised prices and they raised quota. And that SQL business, I don't know what it represents today versus what it represented when we first started there, but it has got to be exponentially higher. And it was because the the product team or the leadership or whoever said, this is a far smaller line item than it should be, given our given what we know about the market. No doubt. And I thought it was just, and at the time I hated it as an AE, I hated it. And there was, there was nothing you could convince me that said that, that, that would cause me to like it. Even listening to this show today, I still <laughs> wouldn't like it. Right. But it was a stroke of genius by Microsoft to say, we have got to fix this. And it, it caused, it forced the sales teams to completely change the way they sold SQL and the way they went to market and the way they did marketing events. And I think it was that attitude. And it took, two, I think it took like what, two years before they actually started to hit their number. Probably, but I know it's it's a multi-billion-dollar business, right? They're still not catching Oracle. Um, no. But with that, people, normally, and I, I can remember at Microsoft, with that comes resources, right? I mean, most of these businesses are building budgets around the quotas, right? I mean, the quota is really the top-line number that the business is expecting to get, and they're building their business plans around that quota. So if, you, if, you, if, they, if they set a billion-dollar goal – they're probably guessing they're going to get somewhere between 80 and 100% of that mm-hmm. goal. And they're building mm-hmm. their, they're, they're, they're adding resources. They put a few more specialists in the fields. They enable their partners. And if that's not happening, then you got a bigger problem. But I would say businesses that are raising quotas like that probably put those resources behind it. And I think if we all looked at our territory, and I think this is what the podcast may need to be on, the future one, what if we all looked at our territory as I need to do 200% of my number this year? Like no, that is, that is my number. Right. And so like, it's a mindset shift and it would suck. And I'm not saying like, let's raise quotas by, you know, hundred percent and double our quota. But like, what, what things would you do different if you had to double your number? And I think that's the, that kind of mental exercise would be interesting. No doubt. And people would, would definitely sell more stuff. There's no question. Yeah. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say on that is it's not, it's not a mindset of will I be able to get enough orders to cover that quota. P- 
people, we're paid to go create those deals and get those quotas covered. Um, it's our job. We are the people. It's not. Uh, it's not an inside sales team. It's not a marketing team. We are the team. All right, so let's jump to number three. Um, this one's a good one. I've dealt with it a lot at EMC. I dealt with it a lot at Microsoft. It's funny how your uh, rose-tinted glasses change, but the, the, the statement is we cannot beat the competition anymore. And it ha- it probably happens more in bigger, staunchy, older companies, right? Um, I think we've if you've been in tech at all or you've watched it, it's been amazing what Apple's done over the last 10 years with the phone because the phone was was pretty steady state you know and what google and android google with android and microsoft uh tried to do and failed and then apple did it and blew it out of the world that you know the the market share for the phones between google and apple are tremendous but it was it was you know no one saw that there was that much opportunity to change the phone mm-hmm. i think uh, microsoft started getting a little stomped in the cloud and how they sold software and how they delivered software and it took a few years for them to turn that cruise ship that that they were on of perpetual licensing and stuff but you know they're probably doing 10 to 20 billion dollars in azure sales now right oh, yeah. amazon web services is doing it so there's still there's always that sexy competition that's going to be out there um and your job isn't to bitch about not being able to beat them but it's about being a value seller it's about being a challenger sales rep and sharing those insights and helping your customer understand why your lineage and time and market and history and probably money in the bank and all these other things are real reasons to bet on you and not this upstart that might get bought and spin off that product one day um brian you work for one of those newer sexier companies i mean every other Every other HR company or financials company has to be afraid of Workday. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're afraid of what's coming next, yep. too. What's being developed on the uh, Azure or AWS platform that's going to have legs and move fast. And I think, um, I think a second way to look at this is if you don't wake up in the morning and, and you can't get passionate about what you're selling, you need, to, you need to either get out to headquarters if you don't live at the headquarters and go refresh yourself at corporate headquarters and, and like get reinvigorated, meet with a product team. If you can do something like that, um, if you can't do that, then you need to go work for another company because it, it will smell. It, it is that it is the same smell as that desperation of, of, uh, of, of the cologne of desperation, right? That stinks. If you can't get uh, excited about the technology you're selling, you need to go find another job. But I would, I would highly suggest spending some time out at corporate, you know, meeting with mentors, um, work to get reinvigorated. But yeah, it, it, that you need to have that fire. Otherwise, your 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 customers will smell it on you. And I think what I felt at, at both Dell EMC and then Microsoft was these one-off point solutions would would kill the overall bigger picture for me, right? And I I I think I wasn't mature enough maybe to to understand those things or. Yeah. be able to to understand why a customer wouldn't just go ahead and bundle my piece in, right? Well, those people that have a single product, they're they're probably really really good at that single product or that single path uh, that they're on. But that is an opportunity to talk to a customer about, you know, are you going to invest a lot of money in a company that's only going to do this one thing, right? Right. Um, 
we got billions of dollars in the bank. We're going to we're going to be there with you along the way and be able to help you. It's not a pricing play. I know we all probably use that at some point to to get a deal done, but it's more about the value play and you can beat the competition. Somebody's winning. It should be you. Um, and you shouldn't whine about it as much as you work hard to overcome it. Indeed. All right, so number four this week, and next week we'll do four more, but uh, our product doesn't have this one feature, Brian. If it only had this one feature, man, if we, it did this thing, if we had Surrey built into our phone, we would kill it. And uh, have you ever heard something like that, Brian? Oh, sure. I mean, there's always, um, especially in big ERP evaluations, right? It's if fixed assets could do this or if recruiting could do that. It, it It's a never-ending uh, competitive challenge ever because you'll have a, a startup come out there and they'll have a hero feature that solves some sort of really complex scheduling issue, but it has 62 other gaps. There's always going to be something your system doesn't do that another system does do and um, I, I think the key to this, certainly in if you're in any sort of ERP or, or big kind of core system of record operational type system, you're never going to have a scenario to where you solve all the boxes. And um, it's all about understanding how how critical those gaps are to their business. Because what, what oftentimes happens, Bobby, at least in my experience, is that you can either partner with someone to get it done or that feature, they're having to work around it today anyway. And if you're solving you know, 22 other things that they didn't have solved previously, then that one feature isn't going to cause the the deal to go sideways. Uh, but when you're in the heat of the deal, it's the one thing you're missing or the two things that you're missing. It feels like the end of the world, but it, it rarely is. Rarely is. I think, uh, I, and I've heard it a lot and I, in my coaching calls of, of late, I've heard it a few times. And it, it is, I think, the, the biggest gap for the sales team is that the sales team's hyper-focused on it. I mean, there's never been an RFP that I've ever seen, and I haven't seen millions of them, but I've seen a lot of them, where the must-haves list was not impossible. Like, every mm-hmm. must-haves list, you know, don't respond to this RFP if you can't do this, this, and it's four pages worth of stuff that no company can do. Um, replicate the three clouds and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just not possible. So they're trying to set a baseline, and I think that that feature set is more of the greater good that, that Brian was talking about. Like, wh- who do you really want to bet on? And that's your sales team that's got to build and instill that confidence. It's never going to be the one line item that um, company A can do and that you can't do. It's going to be more about the relationship. It's going to be more about the solution. It's going to be more about what you taught them. And, and how they can feel confident putting your product in front of the board and then ultimately making the decision to spend hopefully millions of dollars with you. And in the moment, it sucks. It feels like it's the end of the world. I'm not suggesting if, if you're in this spot right now, it feels like the end of the world. It feels like we're going to lose the deal because of this one scenario. And um, it, it is just rarely the case. You're, you're, you're likely going to lose it on something different if you're going to lose and- it. We offer this often, but if you're in that spot and you are stuck and you don't know how to get out of it, contact yeah. us on LinkedIn, send an email to info at techsalesshow.com, and we will be happy to uh, pick up the phone, give you a call, give you a few ideas, talk through the scenario, and hopefully help you win. Uh, it is possible to beat the competition. It is possible uh, to uh, blow out your quota, and there will never be enough leads, people. Don't be average. Average is the enemy. 
Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.